Hey, this is Matt. This is Tony. And this is What Did We Miss? A podcast where we get around to resolving our pop culture blind spots, one episode at a time. So, uh, what's going on? Not much, man. Um, it is very early in the new year, mm-hmm. so... Um, and good timing for this episode. Bohemian Rhapsody just won the Golden Globe for Best Drama, did it not? It did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, much to, um, I don't know. The internet's chagrin? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people were angry. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't see it. I mm-hmm. um, Before we get too far into talking about the Queen biopic, we're talking about Queen. Uh, I didn't see it because... I feel the same way about biopics that I do about sports movies. They tend to all mm-hmm. feel very samey. Sure. Um, and as we're going to learn more in this episode, I didn't know much about Queen outside of the hits. So I, I didn't feel sure that kind of connection to it. So I skipped it and then I heard the internet was not happy with it and critics and uh-huh. whatnot and sounded yeah. like a mess behind the scenes. So. Sure. Uh, I saw it yep. because I see everything. Because I'm an idiot. Are, are, does that make you an idiot, or just like I'm? I'm over here saying I don't like a movie I didn't see. And you, <laughs> at least you may be. Well, you didn't. You, you didn't necessarily say you didn't like the movie. You said that you don't like biopics and typically don't like biopics, which I agree and I get behind because I typically don't like biopics either. But there is, you know, I like seeing everything, especially when there's like a cultural conversation that's going around around about the movie um so um you know i i I go into everything hopefully thinking it's going to be good uh and i thought it was awful um but we're not going to really get too much into the movie today um but yeah so but that was part of the the impetus for choosing queen as our second episode because they're they're back baby in some ways it's like they never left yeah it is it is because what was it last year they were entered into the billboard top 100 again uh and so it's like the bohemian rhapsody has charted in three separate decades which i think there was only prince has done that as well yeah maybe i mean yeah that's crazy right and you know it charting in the 90s um yeah wayne's world is yeah. sort of you know was my initial frame of reference for them as a little kid yeah same well I, I can't say same. I, I can say, uh, you know, obviously Wayne's World was a big deal for me when I was young and, and, and Bohemian Rhapsody uh, uh, was part of that. But I do remember even younger being on the bus and and all the kids doing the We Will Rock You drum beat. Yeah. Uh, and only singing We Will Rock You. There was, there was none of the other stuff, obviously, because sure. we were kids, I guess. Right, that's, and the rest of it's not the fun part. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The fun part is just an irritating the bus driver. Yeah, and I think we also did that during, like, um, I don't know, uh, assemblies mm-hmm. in elementary school. So uh, that's how big that song was, is that, you know, little kids were like, yay, yeah, we could do this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the, the Mighty Ducks sing uh, We Are the Champions around I, the campfire I at the end of the second one. that. Wow. I had to check. I had to pull it up on YouTube and make sure I wasn't just making that up. But yeah. uh, it's a thing that happened. <laughs> It is, yeah. So I guess, um, you know, they have uh, a lot of albums. So, you know, we decided before um, 
you know, getting into this, that we were only going to focus on four albums, um, primarily just because there's just too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think four is probably too much. There's so much to talk about. Um, but we kind of wanted to get um, maybe an overview. So we didn't necessarily pick like drastic periods. So we didn't t- pick the very, very beginning. We didn't pick the very, very end. But maybe some like, you know, important things and some big changes for uh, maybe the back half of their career. I think we did a nice job of picking. We picked the album that really uh, kind of got them going on their upward trajectory. And we we ended with the album that kind of kind of landed with a big thud after their big success, especially here in the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the two in the middle were, I think, really representative of of uh, sort of that 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 peak queen period, and I you know I, I think we both sort of um, ventured a little outside of the homework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I tried to listen to the majority of them. I didn't really listen to anything, you know, the late period stuff mm-hmm. before Mercury died, uh, but uh, just out of curiosity, trying to put it all together. Uh, not as intensive as the four albums we chose. But, um, you know, we might as well just get into it and start talking about uh, the first album. Yeah. So we started uh, start with Sheer Heart Attack, yeah. which does not have the, the, the song Sheer Heart Attack shows up later in our program. It does, it does, yeah. Uh, and that came out in 1974. Uh, and really, before we go too, too deep, let's, you know, talk about the members of the band. Uh, maybe a little intro about the band in general. Freddie Mercury doesn't need much of an introduction. No, he doesn't. Um, it, you know, and I, but again, I think he, in a way, he kind of does. I mean, that kind it's kind of symbolic of Queen in general. They, he is such a larger than life, iconic pop character. Um, but at the end of the day, I didn't know anything about him. And, and what I was interested about with uh, digging into Queen is I didn't know the context around the hits. Um, sure. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Anytime I see a picture of Freddie without a mustache and without the the really tight cropped hair, um, I kind of do a double take because it's sort of frozen as my image of him is frozen as sort of the the later period, mm-hmm. the live aid Freddie. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, and then there is Brian May, who is the guitarist, mm-hmm. uh, known for his super curly, long. Like, would you call it a fro? No, it was just really gross '70s rocker hair. He that still he has never, it, I, you know. Good for him. Yeah, it's like super white and it's really long mm-hmm. and curly. Uh, Who and he was, um, and I am always fascinated whenever I am reminded of this. But he is an astrophysicist, I believe. Yeah, and he's worked with NASA. They recently, um, uh, one of their probes just took photos of um, the farthest, the farthest object that's ever been documented he worked in that project so he wrote like this you know over the top 70s arena rock anthem about um you know exploring the depths of space and it's it's very cheesy but it's very um you know it's sort of and we'll talk about how silly and serious queen can get but his his sort of passion for for nerdy things comes through in the music and um, is clearly coming from a, a real place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, then, and the other guys. And the other guys. And then there's Roger Taylor, who was the drummer, mm-hmm. uh, also singer, who actually has, a, a, I guess, a bigger range uh, for his vocals, for his voice, than 
Freddie Mercury did. Oh yeah, he hits the really high notes. He doesn't hits he? the really high notes. Yeah, um, and John Deacon, mm-hmm. who was the bass player, uh, they all wrote songs. Um, they've all had hits. Every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Before they were Queen, um, Brian May and Roger, Roger Taylor were in a band called Smile, and with uh, this member named Tim Staffel, and he was uh, friends with Freddie Mercury. So that's how Freddie kind of angled his way into the band, gotcha. and then. Um, and then John Deacon joined um, before they started recording. Mm-hmm. And then their first album was just self-titled. And that's kind of, you know, early hard rock, little Zeppelin-y. Yep. Um, pretty proggy, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, and that, that's a self-titled album. And the second one's called Queen 2. Queen 2. I did listen to Queen 2, and it, it definitely yeah. felt like, yeah, like you said, sort of early hard rock. It yeah. felt very Sabbath by way of Queen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even some of the ones we're talking about kind of reminds me of early Bowie, uh, especially Man Who Sold the World, uh, mm-hmm. which is kind of also proto-metal kind of stuff. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. And then we got to 1974 with Sheer Heart Attack, and that's the uh, first album we'll be talking about today. Queen, right. yeah, that's Brighton Rock. That is Brighton Rock. Lead track on Sheer Heart Attack. Yeah, and it, it it definitely comes out and says something right out of the gate. Uh, yeah. The first two albums are very. There was this very British thing where that seventies proto hard rock all felt very. They were all making these Tolkien mythologies and stuff. And, <laughs> um, this is this is very different. It, it mm-hmm. sort of, um, you know that that. That camp doesn't go away, but there, there's something different here. And mm. yeah, this is definitely sort of heralding a, a new direction. And, and it's easy to see why this is the album that sort of was the start of their big their mm. big uh, sure. rise up. I love how um, it transitions from the falsetto into his full voice into the chorus. I love that um, mm-hmm. little kind of transition. Yeah, and it's so, uh, it's so showy too. The whole song is showy, especially like when it gets to the middle section where it's essentially this just a guitar solo. Uh, and he's doing all sorts of stuff with his Red Special, which is his uh, homemade guitar mm-hmm. uh, that he had for his Brian May had for his you know whole career. Um, and he basically designed it with his dad. He saw um, Jeff Beck playing and it kind of inspired him because he wanted to be able to control kind of feedback. And you hear a lot of this in this ridiculous guitar solo which is kind of feeding back on itself and then he kind of has a an echoplex which is like the older delays uh from the 70s where Mm -hmm. they literally had a machine with a tape that would record what he was playing and feedback uh you know through the loop sure um and it's it's really wild um should we play some let's play some of the solo because it's really weird yeah yeah 
Yeah, really cool stuff. But mm-hmm. again, and I think we'll keep getting back to this. With Queen, I think there's this constant, it always feels like they have something to prove. Like, even when they became the biggest band in the world, it always seems just like they feel, they project this air of being the underdogs. Like, mm-hmm. hey, we're we're just the scrappy losers in the corner and we got to prove ourselves. And they go big all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something there to it, to what you're saying. I think especially when it came to... Um Especially when it came to critical feedback, sure. um, there I go. I have some um, doozies from Rolling Stone reviews <laughs> from later on. Um, you know, at one point, uh, saying indeed Queen may be the first truly fascist band. Um, <laughs> uh, later, uh, this is I think a review from the game. It's harder to get annoyed with a group that's plugging away at bad rockabilly than one blasting through <laughs> blasting out crypto nazi marching tunes. Rolling Stone really didn't like We Will Rock You apparently. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think if people showed up and they knew that um to fans they weren't necessarily underdogs, but sure. I, yeah, I think they sure. had something to prove to um you know, the people who they who perceived to know better. Next song is Killer Queen. Yeah. I don't really know <laughs> i don't know if we need to play killer queen <laughs> no i don't think we do um but i will say that it is great yeah it's fantastic yeah and mm. i'll also say that i'll say this right now um that i even with all their albums i don't think for me personally that there's a perfect album i think every one of these albums has some great stuff and stuff that i just i don't understand uh or i think that are out and out duds Mm -hmm. and i think the you know the key to part of their longevity has been the singles and it may seem kind of lame but a lot of times the singles are some of the best songs on the record sure and i definitely you know especially when we get when we get to when we get to news of the world later Mm -hmm. um, i really don't want to like either of those songs sure um just because I think at that point it goes beyond the songs themselves and the context and just like hearing the stomp, stomp, clap at yeah. stadiums and sure, sure. games and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, Killer Queen is just unapologetically yeah. great. It's so sophisticated with its uh, melody. I don't know. It's just so great. Almost show tune, vaudeville. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's high camp. The thing that sure. made them distinctive because the the... You know, the first song, um, Brighton Rock, could have been another 70s band. And there's certainly, you have some of the harmonies in Brian May's um, guitar harmonies um, um, that made it a little more distinctive, made it, made it a little more Queen, but Killer Queen is definitely, you know, what you think of when you think of the band. And it was their first big single, and it gave them an international success and brought mm-hmm. them to the U.S. and to a larger scale. And, you know, this album in whole, as a whole was, you know, what brought them greater success. Yeah. And it's like stupidly sexy as well. And there's a lot of that. Like the, when, when, when the they, song when or they the do, album? yeah, when they yeah. do sexy well, it's really like, sure. it just comes through like he's not holding anything back. Yeah. And the song is about a high class prostitute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, and then, so the next three songs are kind of like a little, I guess they're considered like a medley, the three songs together. 
Uh, and that's Tenement, Funster, Flick of the Wrist, and Lily of the Valley. Mm-hmm. So I guess they're, while they're all separate tracks, they kind of put them all together, almost kind of Abbey Road-esque. Um, right. And, sure. and Flick of the Wrist was actually a single with Killer Queen. And yeah. it's not hard to imagine, uh, you know, had Killer Queen either not existed or just been a little less great, Flick of the Wrist is really good. Yeah, I love Flick of the Wrist. Tenement, Funster... Uh, and this is probably something else we'll keep getting back to, but it's another Roger Taylor written song. And, uh, I, I, I don't love Roger's songs. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, Roger has a great range and, and I do think he's a great drummer, but a lot of, I don't care for the songs that he sings. Uh, and this is another one that just feels like, I feel like a lot of times that his songs are very they're of their era more so than the rest of the albums are uh, or the rest of the songs are mm-hmm. uh, his songs are always kind of feel like they're just it, they could be other band songs and tenement funster kind of feels a lot like uh you know any other 70s band from 74 mm-hmm. um, but let's play a little bit of flick of the wrist because it is great yeah show to me thing mm-hmm. like that really slow slinky part sure. and it's also um they don't go to this well very awesome uh, often but when they do it's pretty cool uh it's kind of sinister uh and i wish they did that a little more oh because yeah, they do it well when they do it but it's it's rare for them yeah they, when 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 they go nasty it gets it's yeah. really fun yeah it's dark and, mm-hmm. and this again has kind of vibes of kind of uh, some Bowie and mm-hmm. obviously Pink Floyd and stuff like that, um, but still being kind of queen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Lily of the Valley is another one of those kind of um, piano kind of ballads. Yeah, um, which I think you know they do better uh, later on, mm-hmm. uh, even on this album. Yeah, and then after Lily in the Valley is uh, now I'm here. Yeah, and for me this one really feels like uh, Queen doing standard mid-70s rock song yeah um it really sounds like boston uh, yeah but this it predates boston by like a year or so no but it definitely it, it um it definitely exists in that sort of headspace sure um yeah and and not in a bad way either i don't know if queen had gone from what they were doing in their first two albums to just doing this yeah i don't know i mean it, 
who knows? But would they be like foreigner? And, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Sure. I, I'm yeah. thinking of like the the Kansases of the world. Sure. Or, sure. Uh, and then after that is uh, in the lap of the gods, uh, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, and the back half sounds kind of like dark side kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, with the uh, big sing songy kind of thing, and uh, particularly the, uh, the great gig in the sky. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty cool. Uh, let's play some of that back. Sure. <laughs> explores that weirdness that they're they're willing to go into but then to go from that to um stone cold crazy is kind of nuts sure um and like i can't uh when i first listened to this i was surprised by how just heavy and fast it was i guess i hadn't i guess i'd only heard the metallica cover yeah and was surprised that they uh, I mean, he changes up some lyrics a bit. Makes it more violent. Of course he does. Because <laughs> it's cool. Um, and I say that unabashedly loving Metallica. But um, yeah, I, I I was surprised by how little they had to change of everything else. Yeah. It's there. And it's yeah. it's like yeah. shocking almost. Yeah. It's proto speed metal, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. blows the doors out yeah it's it's so good yeah um and that was you know i a lot of metal bands talk about that song specifically mm-hmm. metallica obviously mentioned but you know iron maiden yeah all those kind of 80s metal bands oh yeah for yeah. sure um i mean uh, it's hard not to hear spinal tap in a lot of this <laughs> i think if um you know queen really walked a fine line between uh, embracing camp and, and taking themselves a little too seriously. And I think if they had veered too far to one way, uh, I mean, they, they would have been spinal tap. Yeah, you know? for sure. Um, I think that, but throughout all of it, there is a, a sense of awareness and a sense of humor, not all the time, but it's consistent enough that you get the sense that they, they knew what they were doing and they knew when they were being 
silly and over the top. Yeah. Um, Sometimes. They, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they certainly don't get out of their own way. Sure. Uh, and other. And we'll get to that tracks. as we get to more albums yeah. too. Um, and then, so up next is Dear Friends. So dear friends, your love is gone. Only tears to dwell upon. I dare not say. I think this is probably the more successful of the piano ballads on mm-hmm. this song and kind of points to the type of stuff they end up doing on later albums. Maybe a little more elaborate, but sure. it's a nice little song. Yeah, absolutely. And then Misfire, which. Oh, I thought you were, I thought you were saying up next is a misfire. And I thought you were going <laughs> to, I was going to be like, you take that back about bring back Leroy Brown. That song is great. No, we're uh, <laughs> no, we're talking about the song "Misfire." Okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty good. Another yeah. kind of like. Maybe typical 70s song with the guitar harmonies, maybe making it a little more distinctive. There's absolutely something about Brian May's guitar playing that even the most, you know, kind of by the number 70s rock and roll tune, uh, it it sort of brings it up a notch. Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'd listen to that all day over Boston or Foreigner or something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was actually um, Deacon's first song written for the band. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the next song is Bring Back That Leroy Brown, which um, I guess was inspired by a Jim Croce song. Yeah. And do you know, you do not know that song? Yeah. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, but um, so. Meaner than Old King Kong, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, so um, they keep, they re- re- revisit this within the next few albums, but it's this. Stuff that's kind of in, inspired by, I guess it's called Music Hall, which yeah. is the style of music, which is sort of like vaudeville. Yeah, it has a very vaudeville feel to it. Yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, these are fine, I but they're never like, when I put them on, like, I never run to, oh, I, gotta, I gotta listen to that big... <laughs> bring back that, Leroy. that... Bring back that Leroy Brown. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that uh, I would you know, put it on a mix for anybody, but sure. I think it's, uh, what, a, part of what I've enjoyed so much <clears throat> is that the, the singles all, as much as they vary, they exist within a certain spectrum of what you expect from a queen song. And then when you listen sure. to the albums, that spectrum widens significantly. Yeah. So I think it's something like this popping up is fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoy yeah. it within the context of it. Again, I don't know that I would, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go out of my way for it, but sure. I'm happy that it's there. Um, I think they do this better in uh, "Night at the Opera." Okay. Uh, so, and I, I mean, it's not a bad song. It's fun. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a great rhythm. Um, the drums are really good, and it's it's a whopping two and two minutes it and fifteen is, seconds. It is, so it doesn't it overstay its welcome. It doesn't overstay its welcome. Yes. Um, 
and then uh, she makes me. Uh, and that's another kind of like sounds like metal era Pink Floyd. Once you said metal, I yeah. that uh, I sort of Im- immediately clicked into what you meant with Pink Floyd. It feels very much like um, early Floyd. Uh, yeah, what's that? What's the song on metal? Fearless. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of that. Mm, totally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this also has those lovely kind of harmonies that kind of keep building. Yeah. Um, in the chorus. <laughs> and then the last song is "In the Lap of the Gods," revisited, which has nothing to do with no the first go round. But it's great, uh, and it kind of feels like. Uh, early version of the anthemic kind of sing-alongs yeah. that they would do. And they, I guess they would, this was a big live staple for this time uh, period. Mm-hmm. Um, they would close out the shows with this. We should play some of this. It's pretty great. It's so easy but I can't do it So risky but I got a chance it. So funny there's nothing Yeah, say what you will, but those those guys knew how to write a goddamn anthem. When that guitar kicks in, mm-hmm. the distorted guitar kicks in, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so much of this album in particular, and, um, and Night at the Opera as well, um, sort of evoked a very specific image. Um, and I read an interview uh, that Freddie did with... Uh, NME in 74 talking specifically about Killer Queen and he said it's one of those bowler hat black suspender belt numbers and I'm like yeah that's like that's what I'm picturing I'm which you know him just like you know looking like the the MC from Cabaret like alone with a spotlight you know playing stuff like in the lap of the gods and just sort of you know soaking in the adoration and just you know camping it up Yeah, for sure. So I was right. I'm glad that (laughs) Freddie Mercury agreed with me. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So next up um, is A Night at the Opera, which is their big, massive success. Yeah. uh, Which features a song that nobody has ever heard of. Exactly. Called Bohemian Rhapsody. Mm -hmm. And right out of the gate, Going back to what you were saying earlier about nastiness, um, like he's just he on this first track he just comes out sounding just mean and just um, yeah the so the backstory on Death on Two Legs is that it's supposedly written about a manager a manager 
that um yes kind of dicked him over um didn't pay the band money norman sheffield yes let's throw that guy under the bus hate that guy yeah fuck that dude um but yeah i mean there's there's a nastiness and you can tell it's clearly there's something personal going on but it's just so much fun he just like he just you know uh whatever the 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 musical equivalent of just chewing scenery is he's just oh man he's just in it yeah it's great i love this song uh, and this was another big live staple mm-hmm. uh, throughout. I think their whole career. I think they played this probably till the to the till the bitter end. Yeah, it's a lot of fun on um, live killers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's play. they would do more of that kind of stuff but but i guess the, even the band was kind of alarmed with mercury's kind of like blind rage yeah yeah but you know i guess their manager had kind of screwed them out of a lot of money and they were you know they were broke going into this record and this record was at the time the most expensive record ever recorded yeah so they definitely had Something to prove, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, the thought that the band that released the handful of singles that came out of Sheer Heart Attack would be broke going into this is kind of astounding. Yeah. Um, but uh, let's backtrack a bit and just talk about, um, you know, the producer uh, who's Roy Thomas Baker and who, you know, also produced Sheer Heart Attack and he was with them again for this. And he's responsible for a lot of other big albums um foreigner <laughs> the cars mm-hmm. um dusty springfield nazareth um jet <laughs> so a lot of stuff a lot of big 70s stuff i actually um picked this record up on uh vinyl mm-hmm. uh so i had the whole artwork and all that and one thing i saw in it uh and um i read was also featured on a few of their other albums as it says you know in quotes no synthesizers <laughs> Uh, and I saw this and initially I was just kind of like, you know, initially put off because, you know, personally, I love synthesizers. I love a lot of synth bands from um, 
you know, early synth stuff from the 70s, early electronic. Uh, if I had an endless supply of money, I would probably buy vintage synthesizers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did read a quote from Roger Taylor that kind of put it into context, didn't make them seem so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Roger Taylor said, on the first album, Brian did a lot of stuff on guitar featuring specific harmony guitars, which is a fairly new thing at the time. And a lot of reviewers in England... I can quote one, Chris Welch in The Melody Maker, a paper famous for its inaccuracy, I might add, said, great use of synthesizers here. And of course, it was all guitar. And that got up our noses quite a lot. We were a bit put off by the early synthesizers and decided we would actually say from then on for the next four albums or so that we had no synthesizers on them. There is a certain something to that that guitar that sounds uh, it doesn't sound like strings. Um, Although in interviews, Brian May does say he kind of was after a violin kind of sound. Like he wanted to kind of replicate that. Sure. Um, and this is all before uh, kind of Ebos and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So it's really interesting that he he is a distinctive guitar player. Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I I have not been able to support this with any kind of evidence or proof besides the fact that they were... Um, especially big in Japan. Um, but there is something about Brian May's guitar playing that is always sort of, uh, I've always connected it in, in some way to like old video game music. It, it, there's something, mm. it evokes that sort of feel when I hear it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was, ho- I was just like scouring for, you know, some Japanese game composer to be like, Oh, I listened to a ton of queen and that's when I wrote the theme song to Zelda. But like, I couldn't, I couldn't find it, but I'm not convinced that it's not the truth. <laughs> uh, I mean, we were talking about Metallica and Sheer Heart Attack um, uh, on the on uh, Stone Cold Crazy, and how that's a big influence on them. But it's clear with all their uh, their solos um, where they're harmonizing with each other that you know Queen was a big influence on them, and just metal in general. Yeah, which is interesting to think of this really over the top flamboyant band to 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 be a big influence on this kind of repressive super male driven testosterone metal music yeah but i think again there's that that sort of self-awareness because you listen to a lot of that metal especially in the 80s and it's it's just like oh man you guys just had no sense of humor none if they just you just needed like a splash of irony. And yeah. you could have aged so much better than this. <laughs> For sure. Well, let's get back to the album. Yeah.
that doesn't make you want to press start, I don't know what does. <laughs> um, <laughs> true, true. This is a better version of Music Hall to me than the... You're only saying that because it's half as long as Leroy Brown. <laughs> no, I just think this, I love the solo. I love his vocal performance. Uh, it's cheeky. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't it relies less on the sort of the gimmick of the genre than it's it's an excuse for them to hang their like all their different hats on this one thing. I mean, all the harmonies are there. The the, the wild guitar, you know, Freddie mm-hmm. doing whatever he wants with his voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, now, Tony. Yes. Are you going to defend I'm in love with my car? Uh, not vehemently, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was talking about with, um, the track from Sheer Heart Attack by Roger Taylor, where it's just this, it's this 70s kind of rocker that feels kind of predictable for its time. Mm-hmm. I don't, yeah, I, I don't care for his voice. No, I, I I think I think like you were saying with metal, how you're surprised by how much of an influence Queen was on this, you know, repressed macho cock rock. Um, I was I was very surprised that this song was on this album, uh, and took itself so seriously. Um. I, like none of that that sort of queen like wink and a nudge exists in this song, and yeah, it's almost like it's almost like you're waiting for a punchline. It has a good hook, but then when he starts singing "I'm in love with my car," it's just you just roll your eyes back so yeah. much. And I'd ra- rather buy me a new carburetor. Wasn't that a, one of the lines? It's a little <laughs> clunky. It's really clunky. Um, yeah, and if I I, I believe that uh, he he begged to have this be the b-side single to bohemian yep. rhapsody mm-hmm. so he reaped the benefits and i think that yeah. i think that uh they were kind of angry with him for it yeah too. yeah it definitely yeah. rankled a few of them yeah i'm surprised it got on the album i don't think it's awful but i don't uh, i don't know that's that said it transitions really nicely into the next song like i, I and going out of lazy lazing on a sunday yeah. afternoon into it is like oh yeah this is cool and then the song proper starts and you're just kind of like, oh, yeah. Okay, I guess. With my pistons a-pumping. <laughs> uh, yeah, so to, their, so to their credit, they make it work. Sure, okay, um, fair enough. Because, yeah, like the the engine rumbling at the end oh. and then right into You're My Best Friend. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, how'd they, how'd they stick the landing? <laughs> Another big single with You're My Best Friend. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and, which has that kind of like... Um, that 70s Wurlitzer sound, maybe one of the most famous Wurlitzer recordings uh, mm-hmm. up there uh, with uh, um, other Wurlitzer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and one of a handful of great Queen songs to make it into the soundtrack of Friend of the Pod, Edgar Wright. <laughs> wait, wait, what? Can we, call him, can we call him a Friend of the Pod? <laughs> Have we not earned the earned uh, our stripes to be able to, to throw around that that term yet? Um, maybe. Sure. I'm gonna. All right. say, I'm gonna sure. say. All right. Go for it. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna say it. Edgar Wright, friend of the pod, close personal friend of ours. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brighton Rock featured prominently in Baby Driver. Uh, You're my best friend. Um, oh, yeah. Sort of pl- played over the. 
the coda of Shaun of the Dead when he mm-hmm. goes back to the shed and he's got mm-hmm. um, Ed, zombie Ed tied up. Mm-hmm. And then right after You're My Best Friend is 39. Yes. Another song about aliens. Another so- sci-fi song, yes. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's uh, it's considered like a skiffle. Right, which I didn't know what that was until uh, recently listening to interviews with uh, a couple of old British guys yeah. on, Sounds on, like a folk on WTF. Yeah, Roger Daltrey and Eric Idle both talked about being in skiffle bands. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Which, you know, and Daltrey in particular talks about building his own guitar. Cause, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was just um, you know, old old English folk tunes. Yeah. I, I think this is a pretty cool song. I like the I like the chorus a lot. Yeah. And uh, and later on, it, get, it gets into that sort of like weird um, uh, Pink Floyd-y, dark side kind of uh, vocal mm-hmm. what have you going on. Uh, yeah. It's a cool tune. Yeah. Next song is Sweet Lady. Which kind of sounds a little like Rush to me. Is another one of those. It sounds rushed or like Rush? Like the band Rush. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's just another kind of 70s rocker. And again, like this is the type of song that I think if they just did this, they would they wouldn't be the band. They wouldn't be known for Right. There would not be a, a middle of the road biopic about them. Yeah, exactly. Starring Rami Malek. Mhm. And directed by He Who Shall Not Be Named. Voldemort. <laughs> Close. Brian Singer. Oof. He's in big trouble. He is a big they fan. didn't mention him at all when the, it won more. It's it's really kind of gross. It's really gross. Uh, what do you do? You think they should have said something about how much of a creep he is? I don't know, but when the whole award ceremony is centered around kind of like, you know, Me Too, uh, and and uh, awareness, mm-hmm. and then they announce this movie that was directed by, you know, this serial predator. How uh, much of it did he? finish because he didn't yeah. see it all the way through correct yeah i don't he claims he he i guess he claims that he walked away but they claim they fired him so there's not a lot of and i guess malik uh they were at odds throughout the the whole filming of the movie i guess so mm-hmm. uh, but still the whole thing is really weird yeah yeah anyway 
Don't want to get bogged down in that. Uh, yeah, I mean, over, I mean, between uh, Sweet Lady and you know, I'm in love with my car, you know, I'll take Sweet Lady any day. Yeah, oh, for sure. Me too. It, it, it sounds like at least they're having fun. Yeah. Whereas yeah. I'm in love with my car is just, yeah, just so they're, like, no, like, it's not a metaphor. I just love this car so much, <laughs> which I think is actually the truth. Didn't I think, he write it about like his Alfa Romeo or something? I think it was about a friend's car. I, pff, even worse. <laughs> he's, he's, He's covetous about his friend's car. <laughs> and then after Sweet Lady is Sweet Seaside Rendezvous. Yeah, like they're, they're dressed like they're dressed up like a barbershop quartet. Yeah, or something, or something like that. Very vaudeville. Yeah, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Followed by the prophet song. Yeah, super what, proggy. Yeah. What? What? Do you, how do you feel about the prophet song, Matt? I really like it. Oh, really? I do. Yeah. Oh man, you don't like it at all? I feel like if uh, I I, <laughs> I feel like this album gave us. Um, the best case, worst case scenario for Bohemian Rhapsody. You know what I mean? I feel. Yeah, like- I totally, I totally understand that. I just love the weirdness of the, the whole, vocal round thing in the middle. It's just pure texture and almost uses his voice as. It's not about what he's saying. It's just about like this weird space that you. No, in. I know, I get it, but like for me, it's. And it, then the rest of it's really kind of like the riff is great. It's kind of like this proggy metal riff kind yeah. of thing. It's it's a little too rock and roll creation for me. Sure, I get that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's. Um, I don't know structurally if it makes any sense. I think it's just kind of like here's section A, here's section B, here's section C. It doesn't have a good flow, and it's yeah. just a lot of ideas kind of thrown out. But I do like some of those ideas. I, I like its audacity. Yeah, no, for sure. There are parts of it that really work for me, but yeah. like, on the whole, I'm just glad that this was not the basket they put all their eggs in. Sure. We should play some of the, the harmony part, because it's, so bon- it's so bonkers. I just, I just can't help but picture like a stone friend in college being like, Bohemian Rhapsody's a red herring. It's all about the prophet song. And I'm not into that argument. <laughs> Imagine if that was the big <laughs> single. That's what Wayne is headbanging to in his car. I, I think this is a song that's playing while they're like filling the, the Mirthmobile up at the gas station. <laughs> uh, and then Love of My Life. Yeah, another very earnest ballad. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty. They do them really well. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of these songs are... I don't know if I would like this song from 
this version of the song from another band. It's it's really hard on the sleeve, super earnest and kind of dopey. And they do he does this a lot. This is written by Mercury. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I he's so sincere, and again his vocal delivery is you know what makes it distinctive. Yeah, he he can he can sell the sappiest yeah idea he comes up with. Followed by uh, Good Company, which to me kind of feels like. The opposite of the band Bad Company. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So is that is that a good thing or a bad thing? Jury's out. All right, fair enough. It sounds like a kind of Paul McCartney, uh, White Album kind of Wild Honey Pie kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. No. McCartney solo stuff. Uh, it's not bad. Yeah, I think one of the songs John would have hated, but got in the <laughs> album anyway. Maybe, yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's fine. I think uh, Paul probably did it a little better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then after that is this little song called Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. So this is the this is like so, uh, despite um, my lack of familiarity with Queen, I did have this album as a kid mm-hmm. because of this song, because of Wayne's World. Uh huh. And I remember my parents getting it for me for a birthday one year. And I loved Death on Two Legs. And I love Bohemian Rhapsody because you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you, I mean, not because yeah. you're supposed to, because you can't not. Um, sure. And I just, I didn't get the rest of it. Yeah. And it was, I, I think I put it away and never listened to the album for years. Um, Dummy. Yeah, I wasn't, I was a really <laughs> dumb kid. Um, Still are. Yeah. No, I, I won't deny that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean. I mean to talk and to talk about Wayne's World too because you can't separate the two of them at this point. I mean, Mike Myers was willing to walk away from that movie. He's like, no, it has to be this song. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, you, no, we're not going to do Guns and Roses. That's not the point. Yeah, which is such a like the audacity to be a sure. kind of. Well, uh, he said that it's like it's just taken from his youth. It just meant something to him, right. which is strange now because it's so goofy and so connected to Wayne's world, but, or, or, or to have something so specific from your childhood be put into a movie as ridiculous as Wayne's Wayne's world. Right. Maybe that's what separates Wayne's world and makes it good. Sure. And I mean, it's not like he has a history of displaying, uh, great judgment when it comes to creative decisions. (laughs) I mean, he's also the guy who, who drank a a coffee mug full of shit in one of the Austin Powers movies. Yeah. And the less said about his performance and the scene, that he's in in the movie Bohemian Rhapsody, the better. Really? Oh God! Oh, because he was great in the in uh, in Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, I mean it's more of that, but the scene itself is just so awful, and it references Wayne's World. Wait, how does it do that? Oh, because he's is he like a is he like really a Doctor Who? So Mike Myers is playing the record exec that's poo pooing the album and saying like the lead single needs to be "I'm in Love with My Car." <laughs> <laughs> like I said, not great judgment. Uh, and he says Bohemian Rhapsody. He's making fun of it, and he ends it with "No one is gonna headbang to Bohemian Rhapsody in oh, their car." No, yeah, and it's no. so stupid. Now I want to know if that was his idea, or if they're like, "Mike, you gotta say this." And he was like, "I eh. think it was a little of both." Because I've seen him in interviews, he's like, "I'm really proud of this movie, and I'm really glad that I got to do that scene." So bad judgment, yeah. And then he said, get in my belly. And he <laughs> ate Roger, uh, <laughs> Roger Taylor, Roger Taylor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Roger Moore. Roger Moore. Roger I almost, Moore. I almost said Roger Moore. 
Imagine, little, no, little known fact, Roger Moore played tambourine on two Queen albums. I think, and we're going to about to get into this again when we get into News of the World, but there are some songs that you just don't remember the first time you heard them. Mm-hmm. That they're songs that are so ingrained into your memory. And it's hard to kind of separate those things. And that's what was kind of difficult about this in general because, you know, not having much familiarity with their oeuvre. <laughs> Every time we say oeuvre, do a, do a shot. Oeuvre. Uh, not being familiar with their discography. <laughs> <laughs> with their albums with their resume when no only knowing their those big singles is hard to separate those and hard not to hear the singles and be like oh yeah the singles are the best part sure and uh, and even especially with this when a song is so uh so tightly connected to something from a movie mm-hmm. um it's really hard to separate that context too yeah. i mean there are songs that i really the movie <laughs> bohemian rhapsody that's what Obvi- you're- yes yeah okay there are songs that I really like because that the context from the movie I know it from sort of gives it a little extra something. Yeah. Um, but I don't know that I would have uh, come across it otherwise, or even if I had, if I would have necessarily liked it as much. It's a weird it's a way that our, our brains are wired sometimes. I'm going to say it, Tony. I think this is a good song. No. I think it is. Wow. I know. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. No. Uh, as you said, we're going to get into this more in the next album, but... Um, you know, there is a, that sort of, that, that part of my brain that's like, you're not supposed to like the singles that much. And, and every time I kind of, I, I'm, I'm looking for something. I'm like, is there, is there anything that like can just, yeah. no, ne- never, never. Every time I like it yeah. just as much as I did the last time. What do you make of them closing the album with God Save the Queen? I think it's the same sort of fuck you that Death on Two Legs is supposed to be. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, like we did it. We nailed it. You suck. We nailed the album or we nailed this song? Both, maybe. You know, I mean... I don't know. He's played this song on the roof of Buckingham Palace. So I don't know if I see this as a fuck you to England. No, no, no. I mean, like, like in the same, like... I'm talking about like towards like executives and producers. Oh, because like we can do this, so we're going to do this kind of thing? Yeah, maybe. Or like as sort of like a, hey, Jimi Hendrix did did this, so this is our version of, of that. Yeah, the, I, I, I the just... The British version. Sure. Yeah, something like that. I just, yeah. I definitely, um, you know, knowing a little more of the backstory here and mm-hmm. re-list, you know, listening to it with fresh ears, I, I kind of, I kind of uh, felt like it was, it was sort of in that same headspace as a, you know, this is who we are. We deserve everything coming our way, so you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like, and we like, and you know, I mean, the fact that they call themselves Queen, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you know, certainly think highly of themselves. They do. So we skipped um, a day at the races. What else did we skip? Um, jazz? No, no. Jazz is later. So we did. We is there just a night at the races, and then. Yeah, no, we just skipped over a night, uh, a night at the races. We skipped a day at the races and went right to News of the World. Okay. Yeah, let's get into News of the World. So, uh, News of the World was released in 1977. So, Mike Stone was the engineer for uh, 
A Night at the Opera. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Mike Stone is probably also known for Blue Oyster Cult and Foreigner and Journey. Okay. And so Kiss. so we're, we're not too far off in our, our no. sort of estimation of, of where some no. of Queen's DNA lies. Yes, for sure. But um, he was hired after um, their last producer, um, Roy Thomas Baker, uh, didn't come back for um, this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they hired him because of his expertise in overdubbing, because he was the engineer that kind of helped facilitate all of the complex harmony stuff they did on um, a day at the opera, which we didn't mention was named a night at the opera. A night at the opera, which we didn't <laughs> mention was named after the movie by the Marx Brothers. Yeah, both of them were, and yeah, that because they and, were watching them a lot while, well. and that they struck up a, a weird kind of friendship with Groucho. Yeah, and, and then just, Groucho was just like, "Hey, I like these records. Good job. That's awesome." Yeah, it's really cool. Have you ever seen Night of the Opera? Uh, no. I I think I want to say the only one I've seen is Duck Soup. Future episode. Whoa! Look at us <laughs> planting planting seeds early on in the season. Maybe. Oh, uh, it's so good. Yeah, but we'll get to that at some other point. Maybe, possibly. Who knows? Uh, yeah. So let's get into news of the world. Uh, my first note is I find myself consistently not paying attention to this record. <laughs> sure okay yeah i just <clears throat> so this is the the opposite effect of bohemian rhapsody i, I just can't uh the first two songs we will rock you and we are the champions just don't work for me at all uh, no Even i have if a... you can't sep- you can't separate them from what they are yeah i guess i think i think i think listen so listening to it in context of the album what really strikes me is how nice of a close We Are the Champions mm-hmm. feels like. Sure. But it's the second song. Yeah. Well, um, they, it's because they go into each other, kind of. Right. I always thought it was one song when I was a kid. Right. Well, like, and even like on the, the the way the single was released was We Were one. Rocky was the B-side. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah, exactly. And they're always played together. And I just, it just, I don't know. I think for me, it's a little, it's a little... It's not self-aware enough. Yeah. I think it had the album started with We Will Rock You and ended with We Are the Champions. Maybe it would have been different. It just because it feels like the end of something. They and, ended shows with it for for Yeah, but they didn't end the album with it. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that as a defense of the songs. I don't I think We Will Rock You is pretty dumb. Yeah. Uh but <clears throat> on Live Killers, it's oh, a lot yeah. more fun because there's actual I mean there Yeah. The, the pace is different. Sure. Um, there's instrumentation the whole way through mm-hmm. and it feels different. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it feels like, like I get, you know, get the crowd pumped up song and, <clears throat> and that makes sense. But in an album, I just, I just had a hard time. I didn't, it didn't change my mind about it. It's not yeah. a bad song. I just, sure. I can't get into it. I think, um, <clears throat> I love, uh, the verses of we are the champions and I guess it would be like a pre-chorus uh, before he starts singing, we are the champions. Uh, I guess the, it's it's hard to separate that sentiment of like, you know, of what they're singing. Because it's so dopey. Yeah. But I do like, again, like he's doing that earnest ballad thing that we were talking about before in his kind of plea to his their fan base, I guess. And I, I don't mind we are the champions. Again, I think it's it's. It is dumb, but right, and it's it's, and I can't point to anything wrong about either of them. It's strictly a matter of preference. I mean, sure. when 
when uh, when Brian May starts playing guitar and we will rock you, it's great. I just kind of get irritated that like that great lick is wasted on <laughs> on that song. I don't know, not waste. It's you know who I don't who the fuck am I? I don't know. <laughs> I just don't like it. <laughs> so after those two songs is uh, the song "Share Heart Attack," which I guess was written around the time of the album for inclusion in the album "Share Heart Attack," and for whatever reason they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they couldn't get it to work, uh, and they included it on this. Uh, and it's kind of like a. Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, like their send up of punk rock. And I'm sure they were getting a lot of flack. For, well, a lot of the punk rockers at the time were kind of, you know, very much, um, you know, their sole purpose was to take the piss out of bands like Pink Floyd and Queen. Sure. Yeah. And if if they didn't have direct beef, I know. Uh, Sid Vicious and Freddie Mercury certainly exchanged blows through the press at one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I, I dig this song. I think it's really cool. And I love the chorus where it introduces the chord change and then the, the harmonies change. The the, the, uh, the chords kind of stay the same. Let, let's play some of the chords. I think that's really cool. The verses are fine. Uh, maybe if they put that on the album, Sheer Heart Attack, it would work better. It'd feel a little more like ahead of its time, like um, Stone Cold Crazy, maybe. Yeah, I, well, I think, you know, I think looking at it as a reaction to punk, um, and it certainly in the verse feels like it lacks the polish that you'd expect from Queen. And I don't know if, sure. if they're, you know, if this was their taking the piss out of punk i don't know that it necessarily works because it doesn't it doesn't feel as uh complete a song as a lot of their stuff does yeah i don't i don't mind it yeah i think it's cool yeah um and then we'll move on to the next song which is uh all dead all dead which i absolutely love yeah this is a highlight yeah um yeah so brian may wrote this song about his dead cat uh, and he sings it uh, and it's just this beautiful little uh, piano ballad. Uh, it has this middle section with uh, where he does his usual guitar harmony thing, but it almost feels kind of like a, a string section kind of falling apart. It's really beautiful. I think we should play this song. She came without a father, a babe without a name. So much ado about nothing was what she tried to say. So much ado, my lover, so many games we played Through every fleeted summer, through every precious day All dead, all dead, all the dreams we had And I wonder why I still live on All dead, all dead, in the long I'm So good. Yeah, that's a really good song. Yeah, especially I just 
any song that's going to have that kind of sentiment, but also the way he says it, all dead, all dead, in such a sad little um, piano ditty. I, yeah. I well, it feels very British in that way. Like you can yeah. imagine him like playing that uh, at the end of the night at a bar or something. Sure, sure. Um, so for the 40th anniversary of this album, they released um, another version of the song with Freddie singing. Oh, really? And it's it's amazing. Yeah, it's better. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the thing with this band is like they all were vying for, you know, there was a competition within the band. Who could write the best songs? I think that helped the band, but also sometimes it hindered them because, you know, it's clear that like while they're all capable of singing and, and Brian May has a lovely voice here, but none of them are Freddie Mercury. Right. And so when you hear the new ver- the the 2017 version with the Freddie Mercury vocal original Freddie Mercury vocals, it's just a, it's another thing. Um, <clears throat> I'm not really sure why. Maybe why they didn't release it. Maybe it's because this song was just too um, personal to him. Maybe I don't know. But uh, there's a like a little video that accompanies with the new version with this animated video video with some cats in it. It's pretty goofy, but it's worth. Uh, checking out that that version of the song i, I love it uh, and the next song is called spread your wings and this is a single correct yeah yeah it's not very good it's fine yeah i i guess like that sentiment of spread your wings and fly away is just like even for 77 feels kind of cliche after that is fight from the inside which again is another forgettable song i think so I mean, to be perfectly honest, uh, Get Down, Make Love is great. And that was <laughs> I think that was the point where I was like, oh, okay, here we go. I'm... <laughs> you, do you not agree? I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. It's fine. I think this, that's the thing. Like, I think, like, We Will Rock You and We Are the Champions, it's really hard to kind of, as we talked about, it's hard to separate their connection to... Or our perception of them based off of how long we've known about them or how ingrained they are in in, in our culture yeah. uh, with the quality of them. But I think you have like those first four songs and then which are all really pretty solid. And then all of a sudden the album just gets really middle of the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, what works about Get Down, Make Love is like you've said about a few things. It's it's really dopey, but yeah, the earnestness behind it. It's, there's there's an energy to the way he's singing it. The chorus is really cool. Yeah, yeah. It just, just kind of like it kind of kind of snapped me out of that. Also my, feels kind of like Lennon esque, sort of. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. The chorus in particular, I think. Uh, sleeping on the sidewalk, I'd rather not talk about. I don't really give a shit about that kind of like barroom blues. <sighs> yeah. I was tired then. I I don't care about it now. I don't care about it. I don't. Don't play these songs, please. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's all right. I don't have. I mean, I, I don't have much to say at all about yeah. this album. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play a little of "Who Needs You." All right.
It's five o'clock somewhere. Let's get the margaritas going. <laughs> Uh, that feels another kind of like McCartney kind of like, hey, I can do this thing too. Yeah. You know, oh, I can, I can absolutely hear Paul McCartney singing that. Yeah, totally. <sighs> With his dumb face. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, and then it's late, which has an awesome chorus. I really like it's late. feels like a whatever late 70s rock song but that, sure. yeah that chorus comes out of nowhere and it's really i think this album as a whole kind of feels like you know up to this point they're a band that's always just pushing further what can we get away with uh and this album almost feels like oh yeah you've done this uh maybe a little better in other spots there are bright spots but mm-hmm. as a whole uh it, it's doesn't it feels really it me. feels safe yeah it kind of does yeah and then it ends with My Melancholy Blues, which is a little kind of jazzy piano piece. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of what like Radiohead would do at um, the end of Amnesiac. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but except for maybe brighter. <laughs> yeah. A little more up-tempo. Little, not up-tempo, a little more uh, upbeat, maybe. Yeah. No, it, it feels very in the vein of Freddie's sort of vaudeville um not ragtime what was how did you describe it earlier oh it's called um musical yes it's called musical musical yeah mm-hmm. it feels like it fits that bill yeah a little a little more like it's sort of new orleans jazz maybe. yeah sure yeah and that's uh news to the world yeah wait news of the world. news of the world yeah news to the world to me yeah and the next up we skipped um we skipped jazz uh jazz is okay yeah yeah uh i mean the big ones on jazz were fat bottom girls bicycle race so do we just skip jazz we skipped, oh we skipped jazz and we skipped the game the game which is their first foray into synthesizers they no longer hate synthesizers um <laughs> chumps the game's not bad yeah the game's okay i i was shocked at how late in their careers another one bites the dust appeared crazy little thing called love is it's fine yeah um, but never really never really cared for that song uh on the whole i i think i liked i like jazz about the same jazz as the album or jazz the genre Ooh, the album okay i liked queen's jazz okay um maybe about as much as i liked news to the world i liked the game more okay all right. right, yeah, so now we're getting into hot space. Do we want to get our hot space hot takes out of the way up front or what? Because uh, I've been waiting to talk to you about this for weeks. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I sent you 
I sent you a text that said hot space greater, greater than, than news, to, news the world. to the world. And you said controversial opinion. I, I, yeah, I think I did. Yeah. I don't know. I think I would put them on par with each other. Yeah. I don't care for this album. I think the songs will have some interesting elements, but they never really cohere to me. And some of them feel like they're chasing something else. Instead of like, hey, we can prove ourselves. They're just like, hey, we're doing this. We're mimicking this. We're mimicking this. Right. I think the first half of the album especially has has one foot in disco and like one toe in new wave. Yeah. And I think if they had maybe gone, if they had leaned more heavily into the new wave, I think it would have been better. Sure. Uh, But all that said, um, whereas News to the World is them playing it safe, I mean, this is them kind of rewriting the book. And it's more interesting, I think, to listen to that. Sure. But this doesn't feel like as that adventurous to me because it feels like they're mimicking a lot of what was going on at the time Uh, as opposed to like you know setting the precedent for a lot of things because we were talking about in some of the earlier albums how like oh this sounds like boston this sounds like this Mm -hmm. Um, but they were kind of at the cusp of those bands and they were inspiring those bands and they were inspiring heavy metal and glam rock and all these other things and this just feels like them taking inspiration from other stuff and lifting it here and there and Maybe not really doing their own thing with it too much. Right. I think they may have taken the wrong lessons away from the success of Another One Bites the Dust. Sure. Um, Although it's interesting that uh, Michael Jackson points to this as having been an influence on Thriller, which Hmm. when I read that, I went and listened to the two of them back to back. And Mm -hmm. I mean, you can, they're definitely of, uh, you know, again, they sort of exist on a spectrum, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, This is produced by Arif Merdin. And he was also uh, worked with Anita Baker and Aretha Franklin and the Bee Gees and Hall and & Oates. And also uh, produced by Reinhold Mack. And he uh, produced a lot of ELO. Uh, and also their previous uh, album, The Game. Yeah. So very different producers from what they were working with before. So they were definitely trying something. Um, and this album also heavily features the Oberheim OBX, which is a pretty famous synthesizer for the era. Uh, which was used a lot by Herbie Hancock and um, Depeche Mode, Super Tramp, Tangerine Dream, mm-hmm. uh, and Rush, um, which we already mentioned. Just playing the first song, Staying Part of Your, automatically, it just feels completely different from what they were doing. Right. And considering that um, The Game was their only number one album in the U.S., uh, it's easy to see why this is where they lost people. Sure. I mean, especially in, in the States, it seems like... Um, They're like, you're not this band. <laughs> right. And it, it, it seems like they never really bounced back. I don't think no. they ever... I think they lost that draw in the United States after that. Uh, let's, let's play Staying Power. Queen. 
I think, you know what kills the song for me is the horns. I think if it just stayed this minimal kind of synth bass kind of thing um, with the minimal drums, I think it could possibly work. But yeah. I hate the way the horns are recorded. Oh, okay. And that's also a, that's also part of this whole kind of era where everything is heavily gated and uh, I don't know. I just detest that sound. That's unfortunate. I don't also don't think they're necessary. They don't. They feel out of place. Um, yeah. Do Do you like the song or? Uh, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I. Um, it's not. Um, it's not one of my favorites sure. off of the album. Uh, it certainly gets your attention if you're expecting one thing. And yeah. Um, I can I can imagine a typical Queen fan putting this on, and. Uh, hitting play and then just being like oh oh no what happened you know yeah i don't and i don't want to say i don't mean that in the sense of they're correct right uh because i think this is fascinating um but i could see how they they lost some fans at the time sure and i mean if ever there were a band that had a large and varied fan base you know it's someone it's some it's a band like queen sure um i imagine there's a lot of a lot of meatheads at those queen shows in the the seventies. It's possible who are there for the rockers and yeah, you know, or I'm gonna go get a beer when Freddie's yeah. playing the piano and pouring his guts out. Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. Up next is Dancer, which uh, kind of starts off. It sounds like uh, "Don't Bring Me Down" by ELO, mm-hmm. and the drum sounds almost identical. Let's yeah. play it. more queen in there than yeah than there was in yeah in uh in the first track it's kind of their disco thing sure yeah i mean a lot of it is yeah in, in a lot of ways and you know maybe that's you know everybody put out a disco record right and the stones did and yeah those other bands <laughs> <laughs> um those other bands and you know i mean at this point what it's um yeah it's 80 it's may of 82 i mean yeah. disco's in the rearview mirror at this point so, yeah. I mean, maybe that's a this thing. This ain't no party. This ain't no disco. Yeah. This ain't well, no fooling around. And speaking of, I think there are, I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of little like hints of new wave. And I think there, especially like there's some, some flashes of like talking heads and Blondie yeah. and uh, yeah, I would have loved a lot it if, of they, Blondie. if they leaned more into that. Yeah, sure. Next up is back chat. Back, back chat. I think it's back chat. Back chat. Yeah. Not back chat. Chat. Like back chat. Like a like when, shot. like when a baby has a blowout and there's poop all well, up their I, back. You know what the thing is? Is I think I look at it and instinctively think black shot, which is, you know, cat. Chat is cat in French. Do what you want to do, man.
Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a straight disco song. Yeah. But this feels kind of like the Blondie version of disco. Sure. The way it uses that kind of... The, mm-hmm. the guitar line is very reminiscent of Blondie. Yeah. The listeners were missing me, waving my finger no to the song. Were they missing it? They were. Bonus content if you pay to our Patreon that we don't have. <laughs> if you make us a Patreon. <laughs> Um, we don't want your money next up is body language uh which i i i kind of dig the synth line but again like i think sometimes like they're not a band that's known for any kind of minimalism right you know it's always just pushed as far as they could go sure uh and so i don't know if they can't help themselves so a lot of times there's like Songs like this that maybe need a little more restraint don't have that restraint. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if I want restraint from this band. So that's why I'm always conflicted about this album. Right. I mean... I just don't care about any of this. No, I I understand. And I like a lot of music like this. Sure. I like a lot of New Wave. Right. And that's why I I, I didn't... I think maybe there's some restraint on news of the world that... Because it just feels so safe. Sure. I just don't... You know, I want to see them throwing everything at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Um, For sure. I I really like um, these next two songs, action of this day, uh, action this day, and body language. Yeah. Oh, you like body language? Sorry. Yeah, we can play body language. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> At the as the credits are going, boom, 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 and you like action this day, which I really couldn't tell you. I couldn't. I I don't remember this song at all, and I just listen. You're to in it. for a surprise. I listened to this on my way here. make your pitch for it man i i'm not gonna even pretend to think i can win you over with it i just like it. i think it's fine yeah i don't think like again i don't really i'm indifferent to a lot of this yeah i don't hate i don't think this is bad i think the bad songs are coming up yeah i think um i think i think the next one sounds like a melon camp song and i couldn't be less into it Put out this fire is is not good, um, and uh, life is real is terrible, which is like this, I guess uh, an ode and homage to Lenin that apes way it just cribs way too much from from Imagine, and yeah. even kind of quotes it, and it's just it's so misjudged. Yeah, I hate this song. Yeah, I think the back half of this album is less interesting. Yeah, than the I first agree. Half. Yeah. It's like 
them kind of like, oh, well, we'll rain out, we'll rain back on the the synthesizers. Sure. And we'll do a little bit more of what you expect from us. Calling all girls kind of sounds like Elvis Costello, maybe, maybe yeah. John Cale kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have that under the uh, new wave portion of my notes. So <laughs> I agree with you there. I mean, do we, do we just want to cut the bullshit and just get to the one great song on the album? <laughs> <sighs> I don't, I can, I never remember any of these next songs. I've listened to this, I don't know, maybe five or six uh, times. Las Palabras de Amor, I can at least hear this chorus. Cool Cat. Yeah. Um, <sighs> who knows? But how great is Under Pressure? I mean, like, legitimately great. Right. Like, here's an album where we're all like, oh, whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Maybe defend some things about it. Oh, it's an interesting experiment. But then this song comes, and it's just so, so good. And they make you wait till the end to get to it. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't feel like anything else on the record. It just feels like a Queen song. Right. Uh, I mean, I don't think it does. I don't think it sounds like either of them. Vocals, really? Vocals aside... I think it, 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 it well, just, I'm, and not like, and I don't say that as a, a bad thing. I sure. think, um, it sounds so singular. Yeah. Um, and it is such a disappointment that that's all we got. Yeah. Um, there was, I think there was something else and I don't know if it was on this album or another one that Bowie was supposed to be on. It was, on. it was, um, Bowie was supposed to be on Cool Cat oh. and he didn't, he didn't like it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess there's a bootleg version of it that's kind of made the rounds. Um, but so, we did miss the fact that Calling All Girls has a music video inspired by THX 1138. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, which was the subject of our last episode. I read a few different things about the origins of it, uh, and they're all kind of conflicting. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, guess, my, my understanding was it wasn't recorded as part of the sessions. Uh, yeah, it was a little separate. I guess they were kind of... I, I guess Deacon was playing it on the bass, the bass line, and he forgot it. They went out to lunch or something. He forgot it, and they came back, and then Roger Taylor remembered it. And then the, it took off from there, I guess. How can you forget that bass line? It's so simple. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He did. It happened. But, uh, and I guess uh, Mercury was kind of in control of the whole thing, of orchestrating it all together. Yeah. Uh, but obviously Bowie contributed his thing and... Um, and Bowie is the greatest. So yeah, I mean, and those two voices and personalities just fit so well together. Yeah. Oh yeah, the build up uh, towards the back half, going into the last chorus, is just the greatest thing. Yeah, I mean, it's another one of those songs where I'm surprised every time I hear it how not sick of it I am. Sure. Uh, let's play. It's our last song. Yeah.
good though. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our foray into Queen. Yeah. How would you rank these albums? Um. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I would. I would probably. Uh, Night at the Opera, Sheer Heart Attack, for me, Hot Space, and then News of the World. Yeah. Uh, I go back and forth on what I prefer with Sheer Heart Attack and Night at the Opera. Yeah, I mean, I'd be lying it's if tough. I said I didn't just flip a coin in my head. Yeah, I, I think they're both really great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think if you've never listened to Queen, I would start with either one of those. Yeah, I think I think the two of them are really representative of of what they do in their entirety and what they yeah. do best. Sure. Yeah. I I would probably rate uh News of the World and Hot Space kind of equally. Yeah, yeah I, I they both have a lot of sort of duds. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. Interesting though. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely yeah, and, and and my my preference for Hot Space is strictly that it's um a little more um, adventurous. Yeah, it's weirder, I think. Yeah. Sure. Now, do you have any um any recommendations for for follow-ups or or other like what what sort of came to mind when you were listening to these records um i'm gonna go to one of my personal favorites Mm -hmm. uh if you are really into the earlier proggier stuff um another band that i recommend is yes uh with they're uh, a band that i don't think a lot of people talk about anymore and their first few albums are some of my favorite, especially um, some of the best prog rock records. Uh, but I love uh, Fragile and um, Close to the Edge. Um, they're just some of the best prog rock. Uh, and you could hear some of those early elements, uh, some of what they were doing in, in Queen, except for a lot more synthesizers. Fuck you, Queen. <laughs> synthesizers are awesome. <laughs> what about you? Uh, I'm also going to go with um, some personal favorites um, that I'm sure will... Actually, I'm not going to say I'm sure they'll irritate you, but um, (laughs) uh, in in terms of a a band that um, dips their toe in a little bit of everything and and sort of throws whatever at the wall, um, I'm going to go with Ween. Mm -hmm. Um, Ween's cool. Specifically, uh, The Mollusk and Chocolate and Cheese, I think, are two albums that, like Sheer Heart Attack and A Night at the Opera, show just how willing that band is to go into different genres and play around. Um, and yeah, I, they have a sense of humor and mm-hmm. you know, tend to take themselves seriously or, or not so seriously. Um, a lot like Queen. Um, and then in terms of a, a vocalist who, you know, really makes a performance out of, out of um, his singing, I'm going to recommend Oingo Boingo's Dead Man's Party. Nice. Um, Especially for those horns you didn't like on Hot Space. Um, <laughs> it's just the recording of them. Yeah. No, but I think, um, you know, Danny Elfman strikes me as the type of vocalist who, like Freddie Mercury, um, is very much a showman and mm-hmm. um, sort of fits into that uh, almost show tune um, yeah. groove a lot of the time. So. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just watch Spinal Tap again. and Yeah. And woo, be like, oh, that was Queen. Nowhere is it more obvious than Big Bottom. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is, uh, you know, just a slightly less tactful <laughs> fat bottom <laughs> girls. Yeah, <laughs> slightly. Slightly. <laughs> uh, yeah, terrific. Okay, we don't know what we're talking about next week. And bye. Wait, we don't? Do we? I thought. What? Go uh, ahead. Are we going to do Taxi? Oh, yeah. Is, is that anywhere to watch? 
Yeah, I think it's on Hulu. Is it? Yeah. Okay, let's do this. And if it's not on Hulu, it's on the dark web. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I guess uh, in next episode, we're going to be talking about Taxi with Danny DeVito and Andy Kaufman. And Christopher Lloyd and, and Judd Hirsch. And Tony Danza. Yeah. Correct? Mm-hmm. And that lady. Oh, no. We're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's What Did We Miss? If you want to know more about the episode, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at What Did We Miss for links to some of the clips, videos, and research we may have mentioned throughout the episode, plus previews of upcoming shows. Drop us a line and let us know what you think, especially if we're talking about one of your pop culture blind spots. <laughs>